8.30. I honestly leave before he's done. So I'm not going till 8.30. Um, but tonight, I know that Pastor Scott's been talking about expect, or, uh, the Holy Spirit a lot. And so in light of that, I want to talk about expecting. And so um, I want to keep this open, like, conversation as we go through this, not where I'm just, like, preaching at you, but that we're kind of, like, discussing this together. So um, to start off with this theme of idea of expecting, like, what does expecting mean to you? Being pregnant. Yeah, I'm not pregnant. This is not the opportunity that I was like, I was, I, I was writing this and I was like, nope. Uh, what else? Does anyone think of anything besides babies? Yes. Looking forward. Anticipation. Showing up. Who's showing up? Someone. All right. Anyone else? Uh, what does expecting mean to you? Allison's just thinking of babies. She's like, I have no other answer. <laughs> okay. Um, what are some things, we talked about the meaning of expectation or expecting. What are things that you might expect? A baby, an Amazon package, end of the month. I get a lot of them on that subscribe and save. A paycheck, Yes. Yep. Anything else? Yes. Yeah, Allison and I were in Hobby Lobby yesterday, and I was like, I want to skip Thanksgiving and decorate for Christmas. Like, it was magical in there. Uh, yes. Yeah, you do expect that. What else? What are some other things you expect? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That we are in a place where we get to expect that. It's pretty cool. Be treated with respect. Yes. Yep. Anybody else? I work with seventh graders, so I can be quiet all day long. What were you saying, Josh? What? Yep. <laughs> I said, what are some things you expect? Okay. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what I was not expecting for my house to have smoke in it when I woke up this morning all these wildfires. I was like, thought my eyes were hazy, and I was like, why Why can't I see well? What's going on? And then I walked outside. Um, so I want you guys to think about a time when your expectations have been let down. So, and think about like, yeah, so think about how you felt this entire year. Um, yeah, like think about a time when your expectations were let down, um, and then what feelings you felt in, those, in that moment. How did that feel for you? So think about that. Give you like 10 seconds. You got to think fast. And then tell me about a time when your expectations were let down. I'll start us off. I've got a lot of them. They involve Josh. Oh, that sounds really mean, but this one is funny. Uh, it's it's funny-ish. Um, I'll, I'll also tell you about a time when Josh's expectations were let down so we can, like, even it out. But I am really super bad at, like, keeping secrets when I'm surprising someone or something. I'm, like, the kind of person that, like, buys someone a gift, and I'm like, do you want to know I got you? I know Christmas is a month away. Do you want to know what I got you? Like, I'm that person. I just, like, love that stuff. 
And so um, back in August of a long time ago, like 2011, uh, I was going to Wisconsin, and Josh was preaching in his youth group. This was before Josh had preached a lot, and so he was still pretty young in ministry. And we had been dating for about a year at that point, and I was going to Wisconsin, and I was going to surprise him. I was supposed to show up that Friday. I was going to show up that Wednesday instead and surprise him and be in the youth group when he spoke to, like, hear him speak, cheer him on, all this stuff. So I get in the car and you know, with Josh's mom. She picks me up from the airport, and I just keep telling her how proud I am of myself for not spilling the beans because I am a bean spiller on those things. And I just keep telling her, and she's like, you know, Jan's men are just really hard to surprise. I'm like, well, I did it, and he has no idea, and it's so great. And I was really proud of myself. And then we got food, and we got to the church where the youth center was, and she made me put my food in the kitchen, and I was frustrated, and I didn't know why. And then she was like, well, why don't you just go in and see Josh? And I was like, well, I was going to try to, like, walk into the middle of a sermon and, like, really throw him off. She's like, no, you should just go in and see him now. So I go in there, and there's no chairs in the sanctuary. They're all stacked. And I was like, wow, this is a weird sermon illustration. And then I look, and there's like a row of flowers. And Josh is on the end of the row of flowers, down on one knee, with a ring in his hand. And there's like Michael Buble playing and all this stuff. And honestly, like, I was a little frustrated because (laughs) I was like trying really hard to surprise him. And I was really proud of myself. And I was like, I did this. I surprised that dude. And then I didn't. And I actually, I I got up to him, and he said, will you marry me? Well, first I said, this is the cutest thing ever, because that's, had, that's what I had requested, the cutest thing ever. And then I got up to him, and he was like, will you marry me? And I said, yes. And then I was like, but who told you? And it was my mother. So that was a time when my expectations were let down. A time when Josh's expectations were let down was one time I tried to make us Also that, yeah, probably also that time (laughs) when I was not as excited as I should have been when he proposed. Uh, At one time we had just gotten married and I'm, I'm not a good cook. I'll just go ahead and admit that Josh cooks way better than I do. And um, I made enchiladas and I was super proud of myself. Like I had literally never made them before and um, we were eating them and Josh looked at me and he must have been disappointed. His expectations must not have been met because he looked at me and he said, you know, my mom has a really good recipe for enchiladas. And I said, put it down. You may not eat any more tonight. And he was like, no, no. I mean, like, you could just call her. I was like, stop, stop doing it. And I have never made enchilada since then. So that was a time when Josh's expectations were let down. It, I know. And you know what? Josh still cooks most of our food. It, it's okay. We just know our strengths. So um, someone tell me about a time when your expectations were, like, let down and how that felt for you. I know you all have one. You don't have to share, like, the really deep one. You can share the less deep one if you want. <laughs> hey, you know what, Josh? <laughs> Never again. I know. I grew up in Texas, though. I thought I would just, like, be good at it. I wasn't. Anybody? I applied for jobs and I got three out of the four. I was absolutely perfect fit. Yeah. Person for the job. God just made that job for me. Or at least you thought. <laughs> and, um, well, they just didn't know. Right. right. So, and, then, and, then I, and then I didn't get the job. And especially those times I got through like three or four interviews. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's frustrating. Oh, I mean, how did you feel? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Go for it. Shelby first in Aiden. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. I would be too. All right, Aiden, what are you going to say? Can't shoot a deer with that. <laughs> Did you sell the laptop to buy the rifle? <laughs>
Kansas wouldn't have met my expectations either. Uh, Josh's mom said that her expectations were let down when they didn't have snow last Christmas. Uh, they just moved into a cabin, and they did not get snow in their cabin. So I would be disappointed too. Um, so tell about a time when your expectation. We talked about the negatives, so now we're going to switch our mindset here. Tell about a time when your expectations were met and how that felt. I know for me... Um, I, like, literally just told someone tonight, I don't know who it was, um, I was telling someone about how, like, after I had Charlotte, I would, like, sit in the her room and, like, nurse her to sleep and rock her, and I would just, like, sit there and cry, and I was like, thank you, Jesus, for this baby, um, and just, like, having that, like, the joy of, like, having children and, like, having that expectation, I guess it's kind of like an expectation, but just, like, having that fulfilled, it just was, like, so cool, so anyone else? Nikki's a good secret keeper, obviously. So in his uh, stocking, I put lures and all kinds of fishing gear. Everything's about fishing. So when it comes time to go to McGinnis, and he's thinking, well, I'm getting a fishing rod. She just told me that I know nothing about fishing rods, but she bought me a fishing rod, so I have to smile. This is what tells me when I'm just smiling because I'm thinking I've got this good. So I sit him on a scavenger hunt, and we slide the box under the tree. And he comes back up, and he's looking at the box, and he goes, people is my favorite. Josh. All right. Someone else tell us about a time when your expectations were met and how that felt. That's awesome. Go ahead, Paul.
That's like a whole sermon right there. And Josh and Scott didn't figure that out. (laughs) He's like, can't work on this. It was free. That's even better than cheap. That's awesome. There you go. All right. Anyone else? Josh, you're smiling. I feel like you should probably share something. (laughs) You're dumb. Uh, All right. Okay. So I want you to think, um, just give me, I'm a school counselor, so I operate in feeling words. Give me some feeling words for how it feels like when your expectations are not met. You can just say them. Bummed. Angry. Disappointed. Michael said small earlier. Yeah. Forlorn. Betrayed. Discouraged. Really mad at your husband. Things like. Yeah, you feel like you have a bad future, like it's thrown everything off. Yeah. What about when your expectations are met? How does that feel? Yeah. Yeah. Relief. Blessed. What were you saying, Kara? Amazing. Surprise. Yes, sometimes we're like, oh, yes. So surprised by this. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about this because I wanted to, I was really thinking about, like, what about the Holy Spirit, you know, that I want to talk about. And we just came from our youth fall retreat And we took 39 students and six leaders. It was the most people we've ever taken. Um, And we had too many people for the bus. And our friend Zach was the speaker. He's been the speaker for the last three years. And I looked at him at one point because kids just, like, kept coming in and handing me their forms. And I was like, I didn't add you to the list. Okay, I'll put you on the list. And I looked at Zach, and I was like, well, Zach, you want to drive the church van today? And he was like, I'll do it. I'll drive the church van. And so, like, we are kind of, you know, expecting that, maybe next year, even like a youth camp or our next big event that like we might have to drive the church van on the bus. So if anyone's on the board, we need another bus. Um, But it was cool. And like part of the reason that students go is because they're expecting. And, you know, you might see some of these teenagers up here on Sundays and you're like, man, those goofy teenagers. But dude, let me tell you, like they are expecting God to move and they see God move. And it's so crazy. And it's so cool that we even like get to be a part of that and like help facilitate that. Um, And one of the coolest things is that the students are expecting so much that their expectation is contagious and it's contagious to other students. We had a kid that, um, that I think you guys invited. He came to our youth group one Sunday, Ian Gray came to our youth group one Sunday night and then jumped on the bus the next Friday for fall retreat And we had some kids that had been there for two weeks and came, three, four weeks and came. Um, And it was, like, crazy because these kids, like, they didn't really know what they were coming to. They just kind of were like, this seems like a cool event. These people are pretty cool. And, like, we're really crazy and weird at fall retreat. Like, it's not just, like, normal crazy and weird. It's, like, a lot crazy and weird. And so uh, they just, like, jumped in and came with us because, like, the expectation of the other students was, like, so overflowing that they were like, okay, I'm going to be in on this. And I remember the first year, it was like pulling teeth to get kids to come. We were like, this is going to be cool, guys. Our friend Zach is coming. And they like kind of knew who Zach was, but not really. 
Um, and they were like, it's just that weird, funny dude. He, like, came to fine arts with us one time, and we all giggled a lot. And they were like, well, Zach's probably pretty cool. Maybe I'll come. Um, but, like, we see God do crazy things at fall retreat. Like, your students are spoken over prophetically at fall retreat. Um, students pray for other students to get healed. Um, there was one year, I think it was last year, there was a student that said he felt like God never spoke to him. And so we asked everyone in the room to pray that God would give them a word for this kid. And there were probably, what, 20 people that came up to him and said, God told me this for you specifically in the last five minutes. And so it's like God does such crazy things during fall retreat that like after that first year, we didn't have to beg students to come. We didn't have to beg students to, you know, please come, please make time for this. They're like, when is fall retreat? Can we do it a second time, you know, in a year? Because they're expecting God to move and they're expecting God to do crazy things. And I think sometimes as adults, we can get so stuck in this idea of like, you know, uh, God can't do that, or like, you know, that's that's too far-fetched for him, and like, you know, I know Linda Bottoms, when she used to have a minivan, she would like literally pray over her van when she would like go on long trips and drive up hills, because she knew God would like take care of it, and you know, and like things like that, we're like, yeah, well, maybe he can do that, but surely, you know, God can't heal me. Surely God can't, you know, help me with this issue I've been having. Surely God can't like heal me from depression, Surely God can't, like, help my brother or my parent who's struggling. And I think sometimes, as adults, we get so stuck in this idea of, like, man, God is in this box, and I really, I really want him to move. I do. But, like, our expectation, instead of being up here, it's, like, way down here. And we have no expectation for him to actually do anything. And so we'll pray, and we're like, oh, Lord, heal this person, but if you don't, you know, that's okay. You know, and it's like we go into it like not even really expecting him to do anything. And it's crazy for me. Every year we see these students, these teenagers that like some of them barely even know Jesus. And they like come and they're just expecting God to do crazy things. And he does, you know. And like we get to see it with our own eyes. And these teenagers get to see it with their own eyes. And it's such a faith-building moment for me personally because I see these kids that you know, some of them come from hard situations. They come from hard home lives. They come from hard situations at school or whatever they're dealing with, maybe a bad back background or past. And yet God moves in them, and they've, they're given such fresh hope because of that. And their expectation might start out kind of here, but man, after that first service, it goes up. And we usually have about three or four services while we're there. And like every time, like the students come in more and more expectant. Like we don't have to round them up for service. We want to be like, all right, guys, you know, we got to go to service. They're like, let's go to service because we want to see God move. We want to see God do things. And even in the last service, Moses and Shay are back there shaking their heads. Like in the last service, Zach was like, all right, we're going to wait on God. And I kid you not, your children sat there for two hours. And waited on the Lord. Five. It wasn't really five, Moses. The service started at like, what, seven? We got out by like 11.30, okay? It was four and a half. But the waiting part was probably like two hours or more. I don't know. But the thing is, is like they were willing to sit because they were expecting God to move. And God moved. And they've seen God move before. And they were like, if this is what it takes, like if we're just going to sit here and like wait on the Holy Spirit to fall, like let's do it. Because we're expecting and most of like, I'm going to go through a few stories in the Bible where people were expecting, but I want to challenge us as adults tonight to really think about like what areas in my life am I expecting God to do things? What areas do I need him to move in? 
What areas do I need him to like make himself known in? And then in those areas, like how can I lift my expectation there and lift my faith? Because I want to see him move and I, I want to I wanna bring him out of this little box I put him in and see him like get crazy. I call it like wrecking your life. Like I want to see him wreck my life in the best possible way. It's what we, we're like, get wrecked, kids. It's great. So we are going to go through a few scriptures here and just look at some examples of people expecting in the Bible. Because the crazy thing about it is, is like, even when Jesus was born, like the shepherds and everything, like they were expecting it and they knew, they knew he was coming. And then like, they followed the star and they got there and they're like, this is amazing. And they knew that Jesus was amazing. They knew that he was there to do miracles and all this stuff. And it's like the more that Jesus did, the more expectant people came. And it got to the point where sometimes he couldn't go anywhere without people following him. He couldn't go anywhere without people chasing after him because they were so excited and they were so expecting that God would do something. My first scripture. Let's see. Sorry, guys. All right, it says, it says in Luke, we're reading all from Luke right now. It says, it says Luke 5, 17. It says, one of those days as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come from every village and town of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal them. And behold, some men were bringing on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to carry him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him with his stretcher down through the tiles into the midst in front of Jesus. So I just like, I don't know, sometimes I like to think about how um, these people in the Bible felt. And I taught junior high Sunday school for a while here and I would always be like, okay, guys, like, we read these stories, but how do these people really feel, you know? And, like, honestly, I see that these people are expecting God to do something. Like, they straight up ripped a roof apart because they were like, okay, this, we got to get to this Jesus dude. Like, he's going to heal our friend. We're expecting that he's going to do this, and we're going to do, like, a little bit of a crazy thing to try to do that. And then I think about it in my life, like, when have I been willing to do a little bit of a crazy thing to see God move? You know, when have I been willing to, like, stretch myself a little bit in this way, rip the roof off of like some, something in my life, some situation in my life so that I can see God move and I can have an expectation that's so fervent and so full that I'm like, whatever it takes, I'm going to get to Jesus. It says, when he saw their confidence in him springing from their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason and question and argue, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but Jesus alone, or but God alone? And so he saw their, their expectation. He saw, I love how it says it in, in this version. It says, he saw their confidence in him springing from their faith. And I think that that's so true. I think sometimes when we're praying for healing and we're like, but if you don't, Lord, you know, it's like, I expect you to heal, maybe, but I don't really know how confident I am in that. You know, when Josh and I were, uh, we went to India in, in college with a bunch of students from our Bible college. And I remember we were, we had gone to this little bitty village and we were praying we were like had a service, then we were going to these different houses and we were praying for people. And I remember we were coming back down the road and this father had wheeled his 10-year-old son out in this wheelchair. The poor kid was like skin and bones 
And he was so thin that like the joints of his knees looked large because everything else was so thin and he couldn't walk. And I remember like praying over him and just being like, man, like who am I to even pray for this kid to be healed? Like I felt like I like wasn't even good enough to ask for that. You know, like who am I to ask for these things? And like, why does this man think that us Americans, you know, somehow makes a difference? And I remember just walking away from that situation and feeling like kind of like frustrated and like disappointed in myself and just like not really knowing what to do. And I turned to our missionary Ashish and I was just asking him about it. And he was saying like how the people in India, they just had such faith that God would do things. Like they were willing to wheel their 10-year-old son out into the literal path of a group of people that had been going around the village praying because they were so willing to like see God move and they were so wanting to see him move. And it really like made me think, you know, how, how big is my faith in God? You know, yeah, I love him. Yeah, I, I'm going to go to heaven. Like, that's all great. But like, how big is my faith in God? And how expecting am I of miracles? How much am I like expecting to see that? And the next one is in Luke 7. It's 7 1. It says, After Jesus had finished all that he had to say in the hearing of the people on the mountain, he entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a bond servant who was held in honor and highly valued by him, who was sick and at the point of death. And when the centurion heard of Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and make his bond servant will. And when they reached Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, He is worthy that you should do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he built us our synagogue at his own expense. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent some friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not sufficiently worthy to have you come under my roof. Neither did I consider myself worthy to come to you. But just speak a word, and my servant boy will be healed. For I am also a man daily subject to authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my bondservant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and he turned and said to the crowd that followed him, I tell you, not in all Israel have I found such a great faith as this. And when the messengers who had been sent returned to the house, they found the bondservant who had been ill quite well again. And the centurion guy, it kind of reminds me of some of the students that came, and they had just kind of heard about Jesus. Some of our last night before fall retreat was Holy Spirit night, and some of them were probably like a little freaked out by stepping into this, um, like this culture of church, you know, and like asking the Lord to move in such a free way. Like these last few weeks, we've been using these sermons called Camp in a Box Sermon. And basically what it is, is it's national evangelists who would have spoken at camps this summer. And because all the youth camps were canceled, they created this Camp in a Box resource. And so students came and we would play this sermon for them, super powerful sermons. And then we would have altar time for like the last four weeks at youth group. And so students stepped into our youth group, and some of them, their first experience in youth was that. And it was so cool because, like, that was what they knew of Jesus so far. And they were like, that was enough for them for to say, okay, I'm going to come. I'm going to do this. Like, these people are, like, probably crazy, and I'm going to go hang out with them for a weekend because this is legitimate. And the centurion, like, didn't even really seem like he knew of Jesus all that much. And yet he went after him, and he said, please, Come heal this servant boy. I know that you can, even if you just speak the word, I know that you can hear him. And his expectation and his faith was so high. And he saw God move in such a cool way. And Jesus even said himself, like, 
I haven't seen faith in all of Israel so great as this. And some of us have been following Jesus for a long time. You know, I remember being five years old and praying the prayer of faith and then my mom making me like call on my grandparents and tell them and things like that. But it's like some of us have been saved for a really long time and sometimes our faith can become so commonplace, you know, and so like mundane and so apathetic. And we just get in this routine of like, okay, I'm gonna pray and read my Bible and ask God to save the world and, you know, pray for our leaders and all this. And sometimes we can get apathetic in our faith almost. To the point that, yeah, we're asking God to do things and we're, we're seeing him do some things. But maybe we're not seeing all that he's doing. And maybe our expectation for him moving is not that high. And so we're just like, well, you know, I just hope things go well today. We're not like, God, I'm expecting you to move. I'm expecting you to heal my friend who's in the hospital. I'm expecting you to um, take this addiction out of my, my brother's life or my uncle's life or whatever it is. I'm expecting you to move in this child who's sick. Like, we're not expecting God to do those things as much because sometimes it's just easier to be like, okay, God, you know, maybe, maybe I'll move. And if you don't, that's cool too, you know. It seems easier that way. We don't have to be scared about being let down. But man, sometimes God calls us to like move with crazy faith and just be willing to say like, okay, even if he doesn't, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to run after him. Um, I know I keep talking about fall retreat, but it's because it was a really cool moment and it's, it's a cool time every time we go. And God had been speaking to me so much that last night and um, Zach said something and he said, who's miserable right now? And what he meant was, who is miserable waiting? But what I heard was, who's miserable right now? And I knew that God was specifically wanting to touch people who are miserable. And I have a really hard time sometimes when the Lord is moving, like not accidentally taking over the service. And that's what I did. And so I told Zach, I was like, hey, can I just have his microphone, please? And he was like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, but he trusted me. And I told him, I said, you know, like Zach said something earlier, guys. And I, he said, who's miserable right now? And I said, I, I feel in my spirit, like some of you are miserable right now. I said, who's miserable? And like, I'm not even kidding you. Like half the kids raised their hands. And I gave them some examples. I was like, you know, maybe you're miserable with um, listening to me talk a lot. Maybe you're miserable with all this waiting. Maybe you're like miserably stuck in depression or anxiety. Maybe you're miserable with your situation at home. Maybe you're miserable with school whatever it might be. And I said, who is miserable right now? And I said, if you are, please come stand up here. And so these students lined the front and um, the Lord was doing weird things. And I was just like, okay, God, whatever you want to do. And so I told the students, I was like, I picked out a few students from the audience and uh, Moses was one of them. And I was like, okay, guys, come up. And I was like, no, don't, don't touch these students yet. And Moses broke the rules and he did, but that's okay. Cause I really like Moses and he can pretty much do whatever he wants. And I'll let him. Um, and so I said, okay, guys, don't, don't touch these students yet. And the Lord spoke to me, and he was like, you know, when you walk across them, their misery is going to be lifted. And I was like, I turned to my friends that were standing by me. They were going to pray. And I was like, guys, this is going to be a really weird thing, and thank you for joining me on this. I was like, we are going to walk across, 
and we're going to see God lift the misery off these people. And I was like, you can pray. You can speak in tongues. You can yell if you want. I was like, anything you want to do, we're going to pray for this, and this is going to happen. And they were like, okay, cool, let's do it. And we did it. And I kid you not, there were kids that were standing there crying and they began to laugh. And there were kids that were like so broken. And by the time I got to the end of the row, I was like so overwhelmed by what the Lord was doing. I was almost on the floor because God was moving in such crazy powerful ways. And I was like feeling it lift. And I was feeling that wave of the Holy Spirit just like sweep across our students. And it felt like the dumbest, silliest thing I've literally ever done in ministry. Like I had literal students following me and we were like yelling at the Lord. And I was like, okay, this is just what the Lord's doing. We're just going to go for it. And we did. And like we saw God move. And that is literally not something that I would just like line up some kids during youth and be like, okay, guys, let's just like uh, walk around and yell and see Jesus move like a wave. Like that's not something I would do. But I really felt that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me through that. And, like, we came with such heavy expectation that God was going to move. So when he told us to do silly things, we were like, all right, let's do it. And then because we were, like, expecting and willing to do the weird things, God moved. You know, and because we were willing to um, be expectant of the Holy Spirit, like, falling during worship and things like that, like, he would. You know, and we've got one student in our youth group that laughs like a crazy person every time the Holy Spirit falls. And you might know who he is. You might not. I'm not going to tell you. But, um, you know, like, he expects the Lord to come. He expects the Lord to move. And so when the Holy Spirit starts to move, he gets the giggles because that's how, that's how the Lord gets him. And he's like, ah, and he starts laughing. And we're all like, okay, friend. Um, and, like, maybe that's not how you respond to the Holy Spirit. But whatever it is, like, be expectant. Because when you're expecting God to move and you're expecting him to do big things, like, he's going to show up. And I'm not trying to say that he's not going to show up otherwise because he will. But I think sometimes when we expect a lot, he's going to show up in big, fat, crazy ways. And we're willing to step out and do, like, the sometimes weird things. He's going to show up even more because we're willing to obey him and say, okay, like, I know this is, like, I felt uncomfortable and silly. But, like, I was just so overcome by the Holy Spirit that I was like, this is what we have to do. This is completely not what I would do, but this is what I feel like we have to do. And then God moves. Next in Luke, let me go back to my notes here. In Luke 8.40, it says, Now when Jesus came back to Galilee, the crowd received and welcomed him gladly. For they were all waiting and looking for him. They knew. Like, they knew God was going to move. And they were, like, waiting and looking. And they were like, okay, where's Jesus? He's coming. Like, where is he at? We're excited. We're waiting for him. There came a man named Jairus who had for a long time been director of the synagogue. And falling at the feet of Jesus, he begged him to come to his house. I, for my, like, for myself, I try to think of, like, man, how would I feel if I was in his shoes? You know, I'm like, dude, this is crazy. Like, Jesus. He's a big deal. I'm going to invite him to my house. I feel excited, you know, and you're like excited. You're like, the Lord is going to like straight up step into my house and I'm going to feed him and I'm going to fellowship with him. And it's going to be so cool because this dude is like running around doing miracles and it's insane. He had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. He knew if he could get Jesus in his house, he had the expectation that she would be healed. 
As Jesus went, the people pressed together around him, almost suffocating him. They were so excited and so full of fervency and expectancy that they were like, we have to get close to this Jesus dude because, like, he is it. And we have to be a part of what he's doing. We have to be a part of what's happening here. A woman who had suffered from a flow of blood for 12 years and had spent all her living upon physicians could not be healed and could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the tassel of his garment. What do you guys think in that moment she felt like? Like in the moments leading up to that moment and then in that moment. Desperate? What else? Hopeful? Unworthy? Yeah. And I'm sure, like, she had really taken that in, like, to feel that she as a person was completely unclean. It became who she was. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, like, what if you accidentally, like, ruin all his superpowers? You'd be in big trouble. But also, he's, like, holy. And so you're like, I hope this works. And she felt desperate, like Allison said. And I wonder, like, how many times do we really feel desperate? You know, even if it's just in our like meeting time with Jesus each day, like how many times do we really feel so desperate that we're like, God, like anything with you is worth it. Anything. Even if I can just touch the hem of your garment, any piece of you is worth it. How desperate are we for Jesus like in our everyday life? When a situation comes up, how desperate are we to see God move? How willing are we to go after him endlessly? until we see him move. I know people that have prayed for miracles for years, and because they don't see it happen in the first year, they don't stop. Five years later, they don't stop. Maybe 10 years later, they don't stop. And then you know what? God moves. Because they were so desperate. And that's not to say that he can't move quickly. He can obviously heal people in an instant. But I think there's something about our desperation for Jesus that can be so, like, sweet. It can be so, like, God-honoring. Like, Jesus, all I need is you. All I need. This is what I need. I need you, Lord. I need you to move desperately in this situation. And I'm going to keep seeking you. And I'm going to keep coming to you. And I'm going to keep trusting in you no matter how long it takes. The Lord walked me through a period of trust a few years ago, and it was very crazy because he really was kind of preparing me for some things that came in the future. And he began with my job. And I was working here, and I wanted to make more money, and I wanted to, like, start my master's degree and all this stuff. And so he moved me into this other job. And he just kept saying, trust me, trust me. And I was like, Lord, I'm a planner and I got to figure this out. And he was like, just trust me. I was like, I don't want to, but I will. 
And so I did. I'm sure you guys have had those moments too. Um, And I just kept trusting him. And he moved me into a job that let me do literally whatever I wanted while I finished my master's degree. There were days that I worked from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then there were days that I worked from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. And I got to do whatever the heck I wanted because this company was so willing to work with me because they knew I was getting a master's degree and that I was going to leave them for the school counseling job that I would one day have after I finished my master's degree. And they didn't matter. And it was a Christian company, and they lifted me up in prayer, and I still received messages from people saying that they're praying for me and things like that. And it was so crazy. But in the midst of that trust, the whites died. And God had built up my trust with this job, and he had said, trust me, trust me, trust me. And I had, and I had seen God move. And so when that happened, I just kept trusting him. And he gave us wisdom beyond our years. He gave us the ability to know how to shepherd students and sometimes shepherd adults through this whole process of like trauma and grief and all of this stuff. And we just kept trusting him. And it was a crazy, awful time. And we walked in trust. And we expected that he would move. And he kept moving. And even when it hurt and even when it was so difficult, He kept moving because our expectations were there and we kept trusting him. We kept saying, God, I know that you see the bigger picture here. I know that we can put our trust in you. And this woman, she just had such trust in him. And she was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to be so desperate. I'm small and I'm dirty and I'm unclean and I'm not worthy. But God, I can trust him and I can expect to be healed. And I'm going to be honest, if I were her, I, I, I don't know that I would have been expected enough to just like reach out and touch him and expect that that was somehow going to heal me. I would have expected that he'd be like, why are you getting me dirty, bro? You know, or at least turn around and like have Jesus compassion and be like, ma'am, please get off the floor. You know, but she just expected that it would she would be healed. It was a literal piece of cloth. But she was expecting, and she was expecting God to move and expecting God to heal her, and he did. And I want to speak to the other side of this too because I think sometimes we feel like if we aren't getting healed or if something isn't changing in our situation, we feel like something is wrong with us. And I've talked to Scott about this before because I've known people in this church who have passed away, and I'm like, yeah, but their spouse was praying for them. Like, don't you think their spouse's faith was so grounded in the Lord? Like, don't you think that they were so full of Jesus? Like, that person is so much more full of Jesus than I feel like I am. What happened? And I would tell you, like, honestly, I don't know all the answers. And I don't know that we're always supposed to know all the answers. But I think that if we keep praying and we keep expecting, God is going to keep moving. And I don't always know that it's going to look like how we want it to look. And that sucks sometimes. And it's really hard. But I know, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, God will rescue us. And even if he doesn't, he's still on the throne. 
And so I know that I can live my life with big faith. I can live my life with big expectation. And I can see God move in crazy ways because I'm willing to expect big, crazy things. And so I want to challenge you guys tonight. Like, whatever you're expecting, don't stop expecting that. Don't stop expecting that God is going to move. Because he loves you. And no matter how small you feel, no matter how unworthy you feel, he sees you. He sees every part of that. He sees every part of your situation. He sees every part of the hurt. He sees every part of the worry and the fear. Every part of the addiction. He sees all of it. And you matter. I tell our students all the time, you are worthy, you are loved, and you are enough. And I think that sometimes we have to take that on for ourselves as adults. You know, I see kids have this, like, childlike faith, and it's so cool. And like I said earlier, I think sometimes as adults, we can sometimes put Jesus in these boxes of, like, okay, Lord, I need you to move in my job box. I need you to move in my family box. I need you to move in my finances box, whatever it is. But sometimes we just need to have that childlike faith and be like, okay, Jesus, I trust you and I expect you to do big, crazy things. And even if it feels weird and like silly sometimes, I'm going to keep expecting you. And I'm going to obey you in like the weird, silly things because you're going to keep moving. And um, I want to give you guys some time to kind of respond individually. So if you can lower the lights because that makes it a little more spiritual, um, it's how we do things in youth group. It's called light manipulation. It works. Um, makes it more spiritual, guys. And then if you can just start some worship music for us. Um, we have a few minutes here, but I just want to encourage you guys to, whatever it is that you're expecting God to do, whatever it is that you're longing for him to do right now, just take a few minutes and pray about that. And don't just be like, God, you know, maybe, maybe you'll heal my foot. No, like pray with crazy faith. Pray with expectation. Pray like, God, thank you for healing this foot. And your prayers don't have to be like, oh, thou Lord, thou art our, thou art healer. Lord, I know that y'all, you are. You know, like it doesn't have to be so elaborate. I think sometimes we hype ourselves up about like what we need to say or how we need to pray or how we need to expect God to move. And it's like God is literally standing right there and he's like, dude, I want to move in your life. He's like, I want you to just expect me to come. Because he's here in this room right now. And he knows your need. He knows what you're dealing with. And he's asking you to just have faith and trust him. And keep pushing forward and keep moving forward. And keep seeing him move and keep recognizing where he moves. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a few minutes. And then once you feel like you're done praying, um, you're welcome to leave. Um, but please uh, respect the quietness in here so that people who want to pray for a little longer are able to. God, I pray that you would just move right now, Jesus. Lord, that we would just expect you to move. God, that we wouldn't be afraid to ask for big, crazy things. We wouldn't be afraid to, to wonder if you're going to do something, Lord, but that we would just like walk in that expectancy and walk in you moving in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to show up in crazy ways. 
that the Holy Spirit would fall in this place, that the Holy Spirit would fall in our homes and in our lives and in our jobs and our finances and every situation that's going on in this room, it's represented in this room right now. Lord, we expect you to move. Grow our faith, God. Help us to trust you in big, crazy, wild ways, Lord. To see you move in our lives.
Oh. 